Hello, nerdcasters. And is in I don't know that part. That was Eugene Daniels. Hello. One of our many on-the-ground reporters in Iowa for the past week, or two, or months, actually. I'm tired and cold and hot in all of the things. He's been here for the better part of two weeks covering Andrew Yang. Eugene has been to lots and lots of Yang events. And it's been really exciting and kind of nerve-wracking also. And Yang often plays the same song at his rallies. Mark Morrison's 1996 hit, Return of the Mac. Asked, like, why this song? <laughs> it's older. There's, like, cursing and stuff in it. And they said um, it wasn't political. And it was fun. And, quote-unquote, it still slaps, is what I was told. <laughs> the Nerdcast has been in Iowa, embedded with our reporters, who are getting a little delirious with all these campaign songs. <laughs> it still slaps. She said she'd never turn on me. They can tell us what it feels like to go to your umpteenth Pete Buttigieg rally, for example. And I have now almost committed his 36-minute sort of speech plus Q&A to memory. That was our reporter, Elena Schneider, and our senior politics editor, Charlie Matessian. Well, he's been going to Iowa for a long, long time. Ah, uh, there really is no typical day. I was up till 3 o'clock editing last night. <laughs> And Charlie has spent a lot of his time in Iowa this year in a windowless room at the Des Moines Downtown Marriott Hotel, editing stories from reporters driving all over the state. West End He's been eyeing this place called West End Architectural Salvage, Salvage for a while now. A place that I've been dying to see for years. And it just happens to be a few blocks from the Marriott, so... Ten-minute walk. He made a break for it. This looks like we're not going to get lost. Charlie went to his first caucus while still in college, way back in 1988. As a student... And I saw a sign in uh, one of the dorms, and it just seemed like an amazing adventure. Take a bus, go out to this thing that I'd been reading about in the newspapers, and go canvas for a candidate. I didn't even know what that meant. And that's what brought him to where he is today, more than, well, we don't have to do the math for Charlie. Oh my God, where do I get this? I want this lived-in brown leather chair right in front of my bookshelves. That would be amazing. I wonder how I can expense that. I think if I had a choice to do something else in my career, I, unlike most people, I don't think I'd want to be a professional athlete or something like that. I think I'd want to own an architectural salvage uh, store like this, have a big warehouse. Anyway, back to Iowa and the caucuses. Charlie knows Iowa pretty well. There is this stereotype about Iowa that's just flat and lots of corn and pork, but I mean, it's so much more complicated than that. You know, you've got, um, you know, the Northwest, the really super conservative Northwestern part of the state is very different than the uh, heavily Catholic uh, and uh, labor-oriented Northeastern part of the state. Uh, Des Moines is, I, I think, a, a, a growing, thriving metropolitan area. The suburbs are booming in some parts of this metropolitan region. It's just a great place. I mean, and, and uh, the voters of Iowa are really great stewards of the presidential process. Iowa's mythical role in the Democratic Party's presidential nominating process really goes back to 1972 when the party totally rethought the way it was doing things. And Iowa had this complex process of precinct caucuses and county conventions, district conventions, state convention. They chose to get started really early. And in 1972, Iowa was the first state to hold its Democratic caucus. And a few years later, it had the first Republican caucus. I think the energy here is what makes it so cool and why I love it so much. I mean, you've got you know, thousands of like uh, of young kids that are bouncing around the state, knocking on doorbells, uh, piling into cars and buses, 
to to support their their favorite candidate or to understand the process better and to have a say in the, in the choosing of the next uh, president of the United States. And it, in a lot of ways, it's like the purest form of democracy that we have in all of our uh, election systems. That to to uh, do a caucus like this because it's very unique. It's different than a primary uh, in a lot of important and complicated ways. Um, and so I think that that is really exciting to watch that process unfold. And I just think that uh, Iowa voters take their civic responsibility so seriously that they've really proved themselves worthy of being the first state. Voters seem to be feeling the weight of that responsibility. Kelly Hockmuth is from Iowa. Um, it feels big, serious. We start paying attention a year before the caucus, at least, um, try to see as many candidates as we can, watch it on the news at least every night, talk about it among friends regularly. And so the candidates have done zillions of massive rallies, fireside chats, living room meetings, lunches and pizza ranches, trying their hardest to get voters like Kelly on their side. And meanwhile, so many Politico reporters, like Laura Barron-Lopez, have been trekking through the snow to events all over the state. And we are walking very far to get to the place. We had to park far away because so many people are here. Ferreting out all the little tricks and optical illusions campaigns use. Sometimes the campaigns also intentionally pick slightly smaller venues, knowing that the optics of that will look good if it becomes packed. It's a easy way to show that maybe momentum is on their side. So we all settle in for a a late night on Monday watching Iowa precinct results roll in, figure out what's going on, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and it's 11 o'clock p.m. It's becoming clear that we're not so much waiting as the results just aren't coming tonight. This is a big problem for Iowa. This is their moment. Once every four years, they've been waiting for it as well. And it has suddenly passed by. Meanwhile, the candidates are all gathered there. So with literally all but no results reported, what's a candidate to do? Well, you claim victory and you fly to New Hampshire. Literally, that's what they all did. Because tonight, an improbable hope became an undeniable reality. Thank you so much. So listen, it is too close to call, so I'm just going to tell you what I do know. You won! We have been punching way beyond our way. I have a good feeling we're going to be doing very, very well here in Iowa. And look, so so it's on to New Hampshire. So we've got Elena Schneider on the line. She's been in Iowa tonight reporting on, on everything that's been going on. She's expecting to be reporting on the results. But they never came. Elena, what happened here? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we're going to be waiting for these results for at least uh, several more hours far into Tuesday. Look, so the Iowa Democratic Party had a a plan to use an app that they had developed to help their precinct chairs report to the party what had happened. Uh, Not just the raw total, but also the uh, state delegate um, equivalents so that the party could very quickly release those results. Over... Over the course of the hours that we spent sort of sitting around waiting for those results to come in, it was very clear that that, uh, that there was something wrong. And we started to get reports coming out that the party was having issues um, corroborating its data. We're still trying to report out exactly what went wrong. There was some question about whether or not the app ha- was, was causing issues. Um, the party has said that that's not the case, that they wanted to 
double, ch triple check the data to make sure that those numbers matched up. Look, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We don't quite know all the details yet, but the bottom line is that they are not replacing any of their data um, right now. People were having to report their data, not just um, by calling it in, which there are also many snafus trying to reach the Iowa Democratic Party by phone, but I even had some reporting out of Polk County that said that uh, precinct chairmen were asked to take pictures of the results, text those to the executive director, who would then drive them over to the headquarters as a means of reporting them. That's how wild and crazy this mess has, has really turned into. Yikes. I mean, the, the, the caucuses are already a complicated enough process. You've got the the first choice, the realignment, the viability thresholds, the delegate calculations. And there's some questions about whether all the math around that stuff was, was done properly. But then you add in kind of cascading communications failures on, on top of that. And it seems like we're, we're now stuck in this limbo state. Right. And look, that's part of the reason why we saw four candidates come out and give um, something that sounded uh, adjacent to victory speeches. I, I, I think Pete Buttigieg maybe came out at the end of the night with the most uh, strongly worded, what um, you know, calling himself the victor out of Iowa. But look, I think that we're not going to get those answers for a little while. And we've seen how complicated it is how you move on to the next state when you don't even know how things went in the first one. Right. I mean, s someone presumably has been robbed of a big moment tonight. Uh, and, you know, we've got the State of the Union coming on Tuesday. We've got a debate. On, uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be very complicated for whoever did win to, to take full advantage of that, uh, which I guess is why they were trying to. Right. So Exactly. We're living in this world now where uh, news cycles are getting shorter and shorter. They're no longer 24 hours. They can be hourly or, or by minutes because there's just so much going on in our politics today. I mean, this is just a totally crazy time. So for for no one to really get a bounce out of this, potentially out of Iowa, I mean, again, it just sort of continues to scramble how this race might go, um, maybe makes muddy waters even muddier at this point. And, and you know, it's just, it's hard to predict how we're going to walk out of this. Certainly, uh, Iowa not, uh, at least tonight, playing its usual winnowing uh, role. There's no reason for anyone to, you know, consider dropping out of the race based on the results because we don't know what the results were. Right. Right now we're watching people slowly filter out of this um, big gymnasium where Pete Buttigieg just delivered what was something similar to a victory speech, even though we have no real data out of Iowa at this point. Uh, we've got about 2,000 people who are here, according to the campaign. They're all decked out in Pete hats, Pete t-shirts, Pete buttons. Uh, they were a pretty raucous crowd. I think the biggest line of the night, though, and a historic moment was when Pete called out his husband, Chaston, from the stage, calling him like the first that. gentleman of the United States. And that was, a, that was a historic moment and certainly one that he wanted to revel in um, before they moved on from Iowa. And to the love of my life, keeping my feet on the ground, how about a hand for the future first gentleman of the United States? Let's hear it for Chaston. All right, that's our show this week. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer on the ground in Iowa is Jenny Ahmed. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. <laughs>